We are in a series called Relationships. Relationships last a lifetime. My definition of relationships is simply this. Relationships are what? Relationships are multifaceted connections between people of all ages, in all places, for all of life, that bring fulfillment and enhance our destiny, helping us live a life that is full, a life that is satisfying. Now, each and every one of us was created by the Lord. We were made in his image, and that was for a purpose. Since we were made in the image of God, we have some God-like attributes since we were made in his image. We have emotions. God has been emotional in the Bible, whether you know that or not. He just knows how to control it, all right? Uh, But we also have some creativity in us. We have uh, a seed of uh, relationalism in us. I know that's not a word, but we we have a seed of of how we know how to relate uh, to others that, that needs to be cultivated. We have all those things. And it's interesting to me that God created us and he is most fulfilled. Now, I know that God is all-encompassing, Jody. He's, he doesn't need anyone or anybody else to be God. He's all of that. But the fact remains that he created us, and he created us for a reason. And he's most fulfilled when he is loving and relating to us. Now, I just mentioned that we were created in God's image. Are we not? Are you, are you created in the image of God, Right? So that would mean that if he's most fulfilled when he's loving and relating to others, we are most fulfilled, what? When we are loving and relating to others. Above all things, above money, above possessions, above things. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die on the cross for things, did he? We know that. He didn't die on the cross for the stars or the universe or planets or material possessions or even angels. Come on. Any other thing that he created, he he did not die on the cross for that. He died on the cross for you and for me so that we could be reconciled to him. So that not just so that we could die and go to heaven, but so that we could relate to him. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come that what? You might have life and have it more abundantly. And so he's interested in our quality of life. He wants to love and relate to us. That's why he created us. Now, relationships for us can be uh, something that gives us great fulfillment. We know that. Relationships for us can also be disappointing. Come on. They can be those things that cause great heartache to us. They can be those things that trip us up. They can be a stumbling block. But they can also help us fulfill our destiny. Relationships can help us not only become who we are, but they help us, they are the vehicle sometimes in getting us there. Relationships with other people. Now, we cannot forsake the first and most important relationship, and that is the relationship with God. He died on the cross so that we could be reconciled to him so that we would not spend an eternity separated from him. Because that is what will happen if you do not accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior. You can live a good life. You can help old ladies across the street all your life. 
You can give money to all sorts of charities. You can be a good person to your family. You can be an entrepreneur and employ a bunch of people. You can be tolerant. You can be all of these things all the way to your death. And if you have not accepted the Lord Jesus, you will spend an eternity separated from Him. You'll say, Lord, didn't I do all these things, even in your name? And he'll say, what? Depart from me, for I never knew you. I saw the things that you did, good things, but I never knew you. That's an important statement. It's not just a scripture that we quote. It's an important statement by the Lord. He didn't say, get away from me because you didn't fulfill the things that I told you to do. He didn't say, leave me because you weren't obedient to me all the time. He said something very interesting. Listen now. He said, depart from me because I never, what? Knew you. I don't know you. I don't know who you are. You know, life very often is about who you know. All right, we know that. Very often you get ahead. You get jobs. Come on. You get a loan from the bank. You get all sorts of things sometimes because of who you know and the relationship that you have with people. And so relationships are important. They're important to God and they're important to us. And so we can't forsake or forget that first and most important relationship. That is the relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then there's another relationship, folks, that we cannot forsake. Because without this relationship, it'll be difficult for us to relate to God or relate to others, and that is the relationship with ourselves. We must be able to love ourselves. Now, I explained last week, I'm not talking about that flesh nature, right? I'm not talking about the sin nature, you. But I'm talking about when you have accepted the Lord in your life. And Paul says it this way, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation, new creature, Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And now there is something there that has never been before. Something new. Something wonderful. And this is where God says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I have shaped you and formed you. I have made you in my image. In other words, when he says you are, were made in fear, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Here's what he's saying to me. He's saying, I took my time and I thought about this thing when I made you. I didn't just say, well, here's another one, here's another one, here's another one, here's Gina, here's Mary, here's Angie, all the same. No, he didn't say that. He said, here's Gina, let me take some time, make her hair this way and her eyes that color and even down to her uh attitude come on all of those things he created and formed and made and then he said well here's brother jay let me make him this way i'll even give him a bit of a golf swing <laughs> come on <laughs> he said that's not fulfilled yet but i think it is brother i think it is <laughs> but he 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 made you with a lot of thought he, there was a thought process that went into making you. And so that's how you are special. You are different. And God loves you, despite your shortcomings. You may say, well, you know, you just don't know how often I fail. 
I mean, just yesterday, you know, I said some things I shouldn't have said. I did this thing or whatever it was this morning on my way to church. Come on. And I want to tell you this. God loves you despite all of that. That doesn't mean he doesn't correct us. Come on. Shall we sin to take advantage of grace? God forbid, Paul said. Because God will correct you. Come on. Like a loving father. But he already knew the situation you'd be in. Before you got there. Before you even thought about it. He knew you'd be there and loves you anyway. David said he has set his love upon me. He set it there. His love is, and it was not just upon the church. Come on. I'm talking about you. God has set his love upon you. Imagine that. Knowing all of your shortcomings. Knowing all of those things, he set his love upon you. Would you slap God in the face this morning and not love yourself? Something to think about, isn't it? With some false humility. Come on. Come on, we can have false humility. Well, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just a nobody trying to be somebody one day. And God is saying, well, let me know when you get there because I've already made you somebody. But if you don't want to take that, then let me know how you do it. Maybe you do it better than me. <laughs> but you have to love yourself. Because if you don't do that, you won't be able to love God properly. And this is why. This is why. Because you won't know how to relate to him. You won't understand how he redeemed you. You won't understand how he set his love. You won't understand his grace. You won't, you will not, you will miss it altogether if you don't love yourself the way God made you. Properly. The way that God loves you. And so when your relationship this way is in order and your relationship this way is in order, you can relate to others. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit today about loving and relating to others. God put us here for fellowship. All that you gain in life, we've heard this before, it's not just for you, right? All of your increase, come on, what did Jesus tell the rich young ruler? He said, go and sell everything. Then he said, take up your cross. I would think that's a cross enough, Lord, to sell everything I own. Then he said, take up your cross and follow me. Relationship. He's saying, am I first above all that that I gave you? Am I first? And so loving and relating to others. He says it so well in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. It says this, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of it, every last ounce of your heart. Love him with it. Then he uses that word again, with all of your soul, all of your emotion, all of your passion, you are to set upon him. And with all of your mind, every time you think about something, how does that relate to God's relationship with me? Love him with all of that. He says, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as what? 
if you don't love yourself, how in the world are you going to love your neighbor? Isn't that clear in there? We must, there's three things here. We must love the Lord. And, and he uses the word all there. Through all, all, with all that you are, you must love me. Because God is saying to you today, with all that I am, I have loved you. I proved it not only on the cross, but do you know that Jesus laid down his life every day of his ministry? He laid down his life even unto death. He laid down his life for others. He was always praying for somebody. He was always listening to someone, listening to the woman at the well and then giving her wisdom and knowledge. He was always listening to Mary and Martha. He was always relating to someone. Barely had time to go. He had to sneak away to pray to the Father. Come on. Always giving his life for others. And then we must love others and we must love ourselves. There's three loves that we have to have according to the greatest commandments. Choosing to value people by loving and caring for others, forgiving Come on, accepting, reaching out to people, looking for opportunities to love like Jesus is the Lord's mandate to us. We must choose it. There has to come a time where now it's intentional. My wife and I were talking a little bit this morning about how, you know, when you first fall in love with somebody. And not even that, just maybe when you first meet someone and you hit it off, maybe you become best friends, you know. It's easy to do things for that person. Doesn't take any effort, does it? Oh, yeah, man, that guy, he's a great guy. You know, I'd do anything for him. And, uh, you know, we just hit it off and uh, he needs me to take him somewhere or, you know, give him some money or do whatever it is. It's no problem. You don't even think about it. But as your relationship progresses, now comes the point where true love comes in. Because now it has to be intentional. Now you have to love on purpose. Come on. And that's what God did. I'll tell you how I know. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was praying. And the God of all creation, all put into one body of flesh, as much of God that could get in flesh was in there. The God that created you and me, the creator of creation, was now submitting himself to creation. And he said these words. He said, if this cup could pass me by, Father, please let it with emotion. But not my will, your will be done. And so God knows our feelings and our emotions. And at that moment... He could have easily said, no, I don't need to. I can do it a different way. Who would stop God from redeeming us a different way? If God said it, what if he just said, OK, you're redeemed. I'm not going to do the cross thing. Who, who would who would know? All we know is the cross. It sounds sacrilegious to us because that's all we know. But if God would have said it at that point, that's all we would know. You see what I mean? I mean, he's the almighty God. Whatever he says is truth. OK. 
He could have done it a different way, but he didn't. He chose to intentionally love us, to prove it, to show it. How can we back off of that and say, you know what, you did that, God, and I know you made me in your image, and and I want to be like you, but not really in that way. No, he told us we need to intentionally love others. The doors of history hinge on the extraordinary decisions of ordinary people. Listen, you don't have to be an extraordinary person to love. You don't have to be some great person with great character and all of these, some great leader in order to love people. God knows that you and you and you and I can love people just the way that he loved us. He commanded us to it. Listen to Ephesians 5.1. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Listen to it up here. Listen to it in, the, uh, in, the, in, the, in another version. I don't know if I have this up here, but if I don't, just listen to it. It says this. It says, listen now, different version, same verses. It says, Watch what God does, yeah, there it is, and then you do it. Kind of breaks it down for you, doesn't it? Watch what God does, then you do it. That's what, therefore, be imitators, okay? That's just not King James, New King James. It sounds good to say, therefore, be ye imitators of the holy God. No, what he's saying is, watch what I do and do it, Okay? Watch what God does and do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Come on. Mostly what God does is love you. That's as opposed to always correcting you, always waiting for you to do something wrong. No. Mostly what he does is love you. I love this phrase that's been going around the last few years. that God is not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. I love that. And it's true. Keep company with him. Pray. Read his scripture. Learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. Read about the life of Jesus and see how he loved us because he showed his love. He just didn't tell you, I love you. He showed you every day of his life that he loves you. His love was not cautious, folks. It was extravagant. He wore his heart on his sleeve and he gave to everybody. He was open. Come on. He didn't love, this is important, in order, like we do, to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. And then he simply says, love like that. Love like that. He didn't love in order to get something back. Think about it. Think about how you love. I'm not throwing any stones, saying goes, when you live in a glass house. Come on. But all of us are in that same glass house. Think about how you love on a daily basis. Think about the things you do for other people. Think about your motivations. I'm talking about to your best friend, your spouse, your employer, people in the marketplace, people you know, people at church. Come on. Think about how you love. Do you love like Jesus? Well, all of this, he said, look at how I love and look at how I have loved. 
Love like that. Romans 13, 9 and 10 says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder. He's just quoting from Exodus 20. You shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. He's saying all these. You shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying. Namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So all of that stuff he was giving us in those commandments be all wrapped up into loving God and loving people. Live like Jesus, share his love. Loving God and loving people. So Jesus has given us a blueprint, a map of how to love. Now, how do we love like him? Well, John 13, 35 says, by this All will know that you are my disciples, Jesus said, if you have love for one another. Telling me you're a disciple of Jesus doesn't really cut it. I mean, that's okay. But how will everybody know that you're a disciple, Jesus said, by the love that you have one for another. So if you're just evil and mean, but you come to church every Sunday, you read your Bible, You speak in tongues. Come on, somebody. You can quote scripture and you can correct somebody real good with some scripture. You can do all those things, but you have not love. Come on now. What did Paul say? It's like a clanging cymbal. And I've heard some clanging cymbals up close. (laughs) Come on. They're annoying, to use your word. So you are annoying. Not to other people, to God. Who wants to annoy God? Right? Well, think about that. John 15, 12 to 14 says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved... If he wouldn't have put that part in there. If he would have said that you love one another, I can deal with that. Okay, God, you want us to love one another? You know, Clarissa, we can do that. We love one another. How you doing? Okay, you need anything? Okay, we're all right. But he said... As I have loved you. The best thing to do is not read how God loved us. I mean, because once you read it, now you know. And he said, he didn't say, I suggest that you guys love one another. It'd be kind of nice if you did. You know how we are as parents. Look, I want you guys to be close. You know, I want y'all to love one another. Jesus didn't say that. I want you guys to be close. He said, this is my commandment. No, if and I'm not asking. I'm not asking. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he explains it. He says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I have commanded you. Now, when he says lay down one's life for his friends, he's not talking about if I see Nia about to get hit by a bus, I push her out of the way, and then I get hit by the bus. Now I've laid down my life. I mean, although she would enjoy that if I did that. But the truth of the matter is he's talking about lay down your wants. Come on. Sacrifice. Lay down all those things the way you think it should go. Come on. If you're a husband today, he's saying that you 
ought to make sure your wife fulfills her purpose. Your wife, he's saying, you lay down all of your wants to make sure your hubby fulfills his purpose. Come on. No greater love. Romans 12 says, laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Now, laughing with your happy friends when they're happy, that's the easy part. But what about when they're down? Do we share tears? Well, yeah, sometimes we do that. What about when something great has just happened to you, but your friend is a little down? Do we show any compassion or do we say, oh, yeah, sorry to hear that. Now, let me go on about my way because something great happened for me. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. It's another version of this. This is a New Living Translation of Romans 12, 15 to 16. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Come on now. Don't be the great somebody. So how did Jesus love people? Well, here's some things that we can, we can show. Jesus loved people unrestrainedly. In other words, he didn't say, well, I'm going to love you, but got three things I want you to do. And if you meet those three things, then then I'll go ahead and love you. He didn't say that. He just said, I love you. That's it. There are no strings. I mean, there are a lot of other things that deal with the relationship. I know that. But I'm talking about to love people. He just said, I love you. And that was it. Jesus loves people unbiased. So what? They're bald. It's okay. You can love them. Short, fat. Come on. He loved them unbiased. More so than all of the physical appearance, what they can do for you. Come on. Sometimes we love people more for what they can do for us. Hmm? Come on now. Jesus loves people unconditionally. Now I'm talking about that unconditional agape love he set his love upon us Jesus loves people sacrificially that's important Jesus loves people and he shows it with sacrifice it's not just lip service come on I define love this way and I don't have a, a PowerPoint for it or a slide for it, but I define it this way. Love is the giving of oneself at the expense of oneself for the benefit of another. The giving of oneself at the expense of oneself for the benefit of another. This is how Jesus loves us, sacrificially. He loved us extravagantly. That means he lavished so much love on us till we can't take it anymore. I'm going to love you so much, you're not going to be able to take it. You're going to say, stop, that's enough love. (laughs) We'll never say that. But that's how he loves us. He pours it on. You ever love somebody so much you just poured it on? Here's what we do most of the time. Again, not throwing any stones or generalizing, but 
here's what, what we do most of the time. We do love, and we have a good heart. But we want to love and we want to give just, you know, I, I did that. I gave it, here's, I'm proving my love, and I do love you, and I think you'll like that, and that's good enough. In our heart, we think that's, that's good. We did good. You ever took time to take time to just pour it on? That's what Jesus has done with us. And that's what he's telling us to do. Be extravagant with your love. Pour it on sometime. Surprise them. Jesus loves people perfectly. Perfectly. He loves them with a mature love. A love that will not stop loving simply because I'm offended or you hurt me or you didn't say the right thing. So I'm going to stop loving you. I was reading a book of a man who was talking about how he was counseling a couple and they were all in love and you know, got married, and after the first year of marriage, they came into his office and said, we're getting a divorce. And he said, why? He said, because we don't love each other anymore. And he said, well, I didn't know that was what kept marriages together. Yeah. I won't go into that. Just think about that. Because of the love they were talking about was that physical, emotional love. Jesus didn't love us that way. I mean, he has emotion. Don't get me wrong. There is a phileo. It's a Greek word for a type of love. There's a phileo there, obviously. But you know how many times we probably have, if Jesus were human, and he was for 33 years, thereabouts, but you know, if God were like us, you know how many times we would have broken his heart and hurt him and offended him? I, well, I better not say that, but I could probably tell you 10 times last week that I would have offended and hurt God. That if he was like me, he would have said, well, that's it. I'm not loving you anymore. Come on. I know I'm probably the only one, but that's all right. He loves us perfectly. He loves people holistically. He takes it all. He takes it all. Everything. Everything you are, he'll take. All your good stuff, all your bad stuff. He still loves you. Jesus loves people tangibly. He shows it. Do we love that way? I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a hugger sometimes. I know I have to be careful sometimes, but I just, that's just the way I was brought up, you know, to be tangible and to hug. My grandmother was always hugging on me too much. I, but I know she loved me tangibly. She always showed it. That's the way Jesus loves, and Jesus loves people sincerely. In other words, he really means it when he loves you. Not just when he says he loves you, when he shows you he loves you, he means it. No, I really do love you. I'm not doing this to get your favor, to get your attention. I'm simply doing it because I love you. That's all. Nothing else. Not looking for something back. It's not your birthday. Not Christmas. I just love you. We have vital relationships in our life, folks. Relationships with friends, relationships with family, relationships with marketplace people, where we work. Relationships with those that God has put in your life. We need to cultivate these relationships because it's why we're here. And so 
I'm going to leave you with seven relationship building skills when you talk about building relationships with others. Here's seven skills that I've extracted from Scripture. Different examples in Scripture, watching Jesus' life and others. Number one, never force a relationship. You can't make somebody love you. You know, young people could really learn from that. Old people could learn from that. You can't make somebody love you. And so don't love them in order for them to love you. Just love them because you do. Don't try to force it. Never force a relationship. If a relationship is forced, guess what? There will be wrong motives. There will be demand. There will be guilt. There will be obligation there in that relationship. And it will be a shallow relationship. You don't want to force it. Relationships must flow from the heart. Sometimes they're spontaneous. Sometimes they're purposeful, but never forced. Just love people. God will do the rest. Do what you're supposed to do. In other words, what I'm saying here when I say never force a relationship, I'm saying don't expect something back. Say, I'm going to have a, I'm going to, I'm going to have a relationship with that person. I'm just going to continue to be nice to them, and, and they're going to be nice to me no matter what. And the first time they're not nice to you, you just you do it more. And now your motivation is only so that they're nice to you. That's the only reason why you're loving them. That's what I'm saying. Don't do that. Just love them because you love them, because God told you to, and you love them. If they're never, if they die, if you go to your grave and they go to their grave and they were never nice to you, you should have loved them. Never force the relationship. Love with sincerity. An extraordinary example of love in action is found in that of Mother Teresa. She lived an exemplary life. I know she was Catholic and you know, all of those types of things, but boy, I tell you, her fruit, come on. She responded to a call from God, listen to this, to leave teaching girls at a Catholic school and minister to the poorest of the poor in India. There she lived for over 50 years. Can you imagine being called to something for more than 50 years of your life? Come on with only the barest essentials for life. Every day she picked up the poor people that had been left to die in the streets. She carried them to where she lived and cared for them as if they were Jesus himself. Listen to Mother Teresa's description of love. She says, we have all been created for greater things. To love a person without conditions, without any expectations. Works of love are works of peace and purity. Works of love are always a means of becoming closer to God. So the more we help each other, the more we really love God better by loving each other. It's her description of love. Now she exemplified it. She loved extravagantly. Number two, it's a choice. Choose to invest in people. Make that choice. 
Not just people who will do something for you. When I say invest, choose to invest in people. We all make all different kinds of investments during our lifetime. We should also invest in people. Why? It's a commandment of Jesus. He commands us to bear fruit. Commands us to. Do you know that when you die, go to be before the Lord. Hopefully everyone in here will just go right past that white throne judgment because your name is in that book. Come on. But there's another judgment for us as well, saints. And that is where we're going to go before the Lord. And I am not what I want to add to scripture or, you know, just my interpretation. But I imagine us going to be before the Lord. And we're proud because I made it in. My name was in the book. And now I'm before God. And he's going to tell me, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I'm just wanting him to hear all these things about me and about my life. And God looks at you and he kind of moves you aside and looks behind you. And you want to know what, what you're looking for. And he's saying, is there any fruit? Is there any fruit? Or did you bury your talent? Did you invest in people? And did you bring me some fruit? Where is the ROI? Where's the return on investment? He's going to say, I invested in you. I expect you to do the same. It's a choice. We have to choose to invest in people. No one is an island. You can't live by yourself in solitude away from everyone and last very long. It won't happen. You can't do it. Hebrews 10, 24 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up the love and good works. Winston Churchill said this. He's one of my favorite leaders. I love reading about Winston Churchill. He said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Isn't that good? We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Oscar Wilde said this. He said, ordinary riches can be stolen. Real riches cannot. In your soul are infinitely previous Things that cannot be taken away from you. We need to love with availability, saints. Be available. Number three, we need to give an overabundance of grace and patience. Come on, some of us need to look inward on this one. We need to love by giving an overabundance of grace and patience. I'm tired of telling you the same thing over and over. I'm tired of you taking advantage of me. What am I? A doormat to be run over? And then, if you get real upset, you say, I'm sick and tired of doing this thing over and over. You know, I had a side note. I, I had myself an actual Bill Cosby experience once. You know, he talks about, uh, you know, he talks about, you know, he was talking to, or his mom was talking to him, and she said, you know, she used to always say, I'm sick and tired of this. And uh, one time she said, I'm sick. He said, and tired. And it was the worst whipping he ever got. 
And I actually experienced that. <laughs> My mom said, I'm sick. I said, and tired, I know. <laughs> she said, now you're going to know how sick and tired I am. <laughs> but we need to love one another. It'll make us happy. It is as simple and as difficult as that. Choosing to invest in people and then give an overabundance of grace and patience. God has given that to us. He's given us an overabundance of grace. Come on. And I know in my life he's given me an overabundance of patience. Come on. We must do the same. We must. And then establish an atmosphere of positive and emotional support. There's nothing better when, some, when, when someone is feeling down, brokenhearted, disappointed. When they're feeling all of those things, there's nothing better than coming to someone who gives you some emotional support, who can say to you, oh, man, I'm so sorry to hear that. I, I know how you feel. God is good. He's going to get you through this. I know that doesn't make it you know, easier for you to make it through, but he will get you through it. And I just, I I know how you feel. That's a terrible thing, you know, for you to go through that. But God is good. You know, it could be for a reason or whatever, and you just have to look to to see what God's going to do through this thing. You can do that. There's nothing better than that type of support when you're feeling down to know that someone cares enough to come over to you and sit where you are and say, look, I know how you feel. I've been there myself. See, it's not just support. It's not just a shoulder to lean on. This is, I'm talking about emotional support. Come on. Positive, an atmosphere of positive and emotional support. Nothing better. And when you can do that for someone else, guess what? That makes you feel better as well. Come on. When I can do that for someone else, it's not a a pride thing. Because what happens is I understand how God feels when he does me that way. And trust me, it's often. (laughs) Come on. We get disappointed. Love is the condition in which the happiness of another person is essential to your own. Another person's happiness should be essential to your own happiness. Now, you know, that's, that's some, you know, you can think about that. And for some, you might say, I, I don't know about that. You know, because just because somebody else is not happy doesn't mean I'm not going to be happy. You know, I can't, I can't help it because they made stupid, dumb decisions. I can't help it because that person is stupid, dumb, and ignorant. I can't help it because they're where they are. They made their bed. I made my bed. Let them lay in theirs. Let me lay in mine. Now, what I'm talking about is not letting someone else bring you down. Change your life so that you're now walking in misery. But I'm talking about you going to a place where they are in order to pull them up to where you are. Don't you know that, and I'm I'm speaking for him this morning. Speak on his behalf, if he'll allow me. God, if he were human, would be sick and tired 
of coming down to where we are, wallowing in our misery. You know what he does and wants to do? He wants to come to where we are, grab a hold of our hand. Lord, save me. I'm sinking. Pull us up onto the water. Come on now, let's walk back to the boat. You need to come up to where I am is what God is saying. Well, now listen to this. This is how we need to treat each other. God treats us that way. You treat your friends that way. Don't leave them where they are. Have compassion. Have empathy. And bring them up to where you are. Come on. David said, you have saved me. You picked me up out of the miry clay, out of the horrible pit. But not just that. He said, you have set my feet upon a rock and you have established my goings. See, God just didn't leave you in the pit, nor did he just pick you up out of the pit and say, have a good day. He picked you up out of the pit, set your feet, dusted you off, cleaned you off, set your feet upon a rock. You all right now? And established your goings. That's what God did. You want to know who exemplified that? The Samaritan. He went over. He didn't just pick the man up, say, you all right? You going to make it? You cool? All right. You need some water? Okay. No, he picked the man up, put him on his horse, carried him to the inn, said, please take care of this man. I, I've got to go to town to do some business. But guess what? Here's some money. And then here's some extra money in case it goes over. And if it goes past that, on my way back, I'll stop through just to make sure you're taken care of. That's what I'm talking about. That's the way God does us. That's the way the Samaritan did that person. That's the way we need to do each other. Establishing an atmosphere of positive and emotional support. Come on, somebody. And then we need to be wise and discerning with timing. Oh, this is an important one. Timing with relationship counts. It is important to know when to pursue a relationship, when it can go a little deeper, and when it is the wrong time to press an issue. See, if you press an issue at the wrong time, all you're going to do is frustrate that person, and then you're going to be frustrated. It's going to frustrate them. It's going to frustrate you. But we need to learn how to love with trust. Pick our moments. We've heard, especially with parents and, and, and teens, pick your battles. Come on, some of them are important. Some of them are non-negotiable. Some of them, well, that's just the way you did it growing up and it'll be okay. We have to learn when to press. Come on. We have to learn when to share secrets and when not to. We could go all into that. John 9, 1 says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man, a, a man who was blind from birth. And it moved him so much. See, he was moved by compassion for this man that he went over and he healed him. He was moved by compassion for the woman who was caught in adultery. Perfect example. He got down to where she was, wrote on the ground made one of the greatest 
statements that have ever been made. He who is without sin cast the first stone. Come on. Everybody left. Then he made the absolute greatest statement that I'll ever hear in my life. And he said, hey, where are your accusers? There are none, Lord, then neither do I accuse you. That's compassion. That's empathy. Come on. But here's the kicker to that whole thing. Is he didn't just say, all right, now nobody's going to stone you. Have a good day. If you need anything, give me a call. Talk to one of the disciples. Make an appointment. He said, now, get up. Go and sin no more. He set her on a path. Set her on a path. This is what we need to do for each other. Be wise and discerning. Listen to this illustration. One day, a four-year-old boy was playing with his toys at his daddy's feet as his daddy read the newspaper. Little boy began telling him of his adventurous day. And the dad would only respond with a generic, uh-huh, and a nod of his head. After five minutes of this type of shallow interaction, the boy shouted at his dad, Daddy, you're not listening to me. Oh, yes, I am, said the daddy as he continued to read the newspaper. Or if this were me watching the game. Out of frustration, the little boy grabbed the newspaper from his dad, crawled up on his daddy's lap, and he placed his little hands on each side of his daddy's face. And the little boy said to him, Daddy, I want you to listen to me with your eyes. This is what we want from each other. How many know how frustrating it is to communicate with someone who's not listening to you? It's frustrating. Number six is we need to respect disagreements and move on. We need to learn how to walk together even though there are some things you would do this way, there are some things I would do that way. Because guess what? You're never going to do 100% of the things 100% of the same way. I can tell you this. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. The ultimate test of a relationship is to disagree, but to hold hands. How many can disagree and still hold hands? Come on. How many can disagree and still lock arms and say we're still going together? We're still going that same way. Or how many get offended? You don't do the things, you don't do it the way I would do it. I don't do it the way you would do it. So you just go about your way. I'll go about my way and everybody will be happy. Sounds good. That sounds like a peaceful way to resolve a disagreement, doesn't it? It does to me. That sounds great. Everybody's happy. Nobody's hurt. The only problem is, it's not what God said. God said, walk together. And here's the thing about that. You got to go to Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. And actually, we have this scripture written on our wall up in the elder's office. This verse of scripture talks about us not having the mind of each other 
but having the same mind, and that is the mind of Christ. And so, you don't do things the way I would do things. I don't baptize the way you would baptize. Guess what? I'm just going to go start my own church, start my own denomination. You got a denomination. I got a denomination. We're both claim the name of Jesus, and we're moving forward, and everybody's happy. Guess what? Sounds good. We should all be tolerant like that. It's not the Bible. It's not the Bible. Now, you can argue with me. I'm not the one making it up. I'm telling you what the Bible says. In fact, let me go to that scripture. Can you pull that up? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn there real quick. I think this is an important scripture. Important scripture. He talks so much about us working together. Working together. Listen to what Paul told him. He says this. He says, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reading this out of the Good News translation. Here, let me switch to the New King James. Or we'll all be on the same. In fact, I'm going old school. See, I can do that because I got the iPad up here. It's going to sound fancy. But listen to what Paul says. And the, and the weight of it. Listen to it now. It says, now I beseech you, I beseech you, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Right in the scripture. And that there be no, none, not a, yet, no divisions among you. But that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same what? Judgment. That you be perfectly joined together. There's some things that jump out to me in this scripture. That you all speak the same thing. That there be no divisions among you. That you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. You might look at that scripture and say, impossible. If it's scripture to man, things are impossible. But to God, all things are, po it is possible that we can all speak the same thing. Not only in church, but in our relationships. We can come together. But what happens is when we come together in a relationship, whether we're best friends, husband and wife, employer, employee, uh, father, daughter, whatever it is, what happens is I have a, an idea and a thought and the way that it should go. You have an idea and a thought and the way that it should go. And what we do is we waste so much time, me trying to convince you my way, you trying to convince me your way, and we never get any way. Instead of coming together and saying, what is God's way? Let's go back to the scripture and see what God would say about the thing. We got a different understanding of that scripture. Let's pray about it. Let's come to corporate prayer a week from Wednesday. Come on, let's all pray together about this thing. Let's see, there should be nothing more important than understanding what God wants out of this relationship. Should be nothing more important. You see, 
we have to respect disagreements and move on. Number seven, enlarge your circle of friends. Enlarge your circle of friends. I'll just say this. If you want friends, you must be a friend. You ever heard that, right? You must first show yourself friendly. Again, Mother Teresa once said, we all draw our circle of friends too small. Enlarge your circle by making a decision to reach out to more people, to different people, people not like you. If you only have friends of people that are exactly like you, what a boring life you will lead. Find ways to get into someone else's life. Volunteer. Participate. Do something in the community. Here's a thought. Do something at church. Find a group of people and enlarge your friendship circle. If you see someone who looks alone at church, invite them to sit with you. Join a book club. Join a Bible study. Well, I would join small groups if you all had them. Why don't you start one? Why don't you bring an idea to the elders? Come on. Learn how to text. <laughs> Come on now. Somebody said preach. Did you say preach? Oh. He said learn how to text. He said preach it. That was one of the young people. Yeah. <laughs> But we need to learn how to work together. We need to learn how to love others. Okay? So let's get this relationship this way, down first. Got to be first. Said, love the Lord your God with emphasis, all, all, and all. Heart, soul, mind, strength, everything. Love yourself. You got to love that new created you. And then... Love and relate to others. You cannot be by yourself. How many are going to work on loving and relating to others better? God's way. 